0: A number of years ago, there was a movie called A Bug's Life. And in this movie, it's about a colony of ants that are harassed by some mean grasshoppers who come and take their food at harvest time. Now, one of the ants named Flick sets off to find some warriors to fight back against the grasshoppers. And so Flick sets off from the ant colony and he comes to this place and he sees these other bugs and one's got a sword and he's fighting and another one's making flames shoot out. And he's think, these are the warriors that I need. These are the ones who are going to help me fight back against the grasshoppers. But those of us watching the movie realize that Flick is seeing something completely different. Because these warrior bugs are actually circus performers. Now stick with me, we've got talking ants and walking ants, so circus bugs are a minor detail, right? But these bugs are circus bugs. And he sees them and he gets all excited because he sees one thing, he believes one story is going on. And then he approaches them and through a series of different things, they don't fully understand what's going on. Flick tells them, or he thinks he tells them what he needs, that he needs warriors to go and fight. They hear that they're coming to perform a circus act for the colony of ants. And I'm not going to share the rest of the story, but it complicates things a little bit when these circus ants get back to the colony and they realize that what they're being asked to do is fight a bunch of grasshoppers. And the ants are a little bit disappointed when they think they're getting warrior bugs and they discover they're getting a bunch of circus performers. But you see in the story, Flick and the circus bugs, they have a different We might say imagination, a different story, a different concept of what's going on. And based on the story they believe, they have a different idea of the roles they're going to play. Flick believes these are warrior bugs and the role they're going to play is to fight off the grasshoppers. The bugs, the circus bugs believe they're circus performers and they believe the role they're to play, the part they're supposed to play, is to put on a good performance. Now, I share this story because I think it's a helpful illustration as we begin a new study on the book of Ephesians. So we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which we read the opening section to. And I've been reading a book by uh, Professor Tim Gombas, who works at Cornerstone here in Grand Rapids. And he wrote a book called The Drama of Ephesians. And he's not the first one, but what he posits, what he suggests in this is the book of Ephesians is a drama in which we're invited to participate. Sometimes we think of our Bible as simply a source of information. It's a guidebook for instructions. But what Gamba suggests is, no, it's a story we're being invited to. And he's not the first one. N.T. Wright also wrote a similar thing. And Wright talks about how the Bible can be authoritative. And what Wright suggests is, imagine that Shakespeare wrote a play and we have the first four acts, but we've lost the fifth act. And you gather a bunch of Shakespearean actors together and they study and they live and they indwell those first four acts and then they perform act five based on what's happened in the previous story. And the Bible functions in some sense the same way. It's a story, it's a drama that's meant to be lived out. Some people suggest, well, the Bible's our instruction book for living, but it doesn't tell us what we're supposed to do every day, does it? I mean, we can't open our Bible and say, okay, God, should I take this job or that? Where's that found? God, what should I do with my money today? Well, it gives some principles and some ideas. And so in a sense, what the Bible is designed to do, we're designed to inhabit this story. We're designed to understand the story, the narrative, the reality that we live in. And out of that reality, begin to live into that story. Now, it's going to look different. It's not a script in the sense of it tells you what to do each and every day. It's not a script you pick up and you say, here's my part. But it's a script in a sense it gives you a picture of what part you're supposed to play. Now it will look different if you're in Fruitland or in France or in Frankfurt. Wherever you're living, that role will look different. But we need to begin to understand the story that we live in. And part of what happens to us is because of our lives and all the things that happen, there are other stories that come in and we believe we're living out one story. But what the book of Ephesians, what Paul's letter to Ephesians says is, there's another story. There's a true story, an older story, a new story that we're being invited to live into. So what I want us to think about over the next several months as we read through the book of Ephesians is that idea. That here's a story... We're being invited into. And we're going to take time. And try and rewrite and examine. What are the stories we believe? What story are you living right now? What do you think your role is in the world? Who do you think God is? What do you think the world is like? All those things make a difference. If you believe it's a circus, you're going to behave one way. If you believe it's a battle, you're going to be, behave another way. If you believe it's a kitchen, whatever metaphor, whatever analogy, you're going to act, you're going to behave, you're going to live in a different way. And so what if Paul does in Ephesians is he creates this picture and said, here's the story that we're being invited to live into. And the story in some is this great cosmic drama. Extends beyond The boundaries of Muskegon County. It extends beyond the borders of Michigan, beyond the borders of the United States, even beyond this earth. It encompasses all of creation, all that is seen and unseen. It goes beyond all that. And we're being invited to be participants on the stage in this cosmic drama in which Jesus Christ has defeated the powers of death, sin, and the devil, and is inviting us to live out as his holy people. Big story. And it's a big calling. So that's what we're going to be doing in the book of Ephesians. So we're starting the opening few verses this week. And sometimes when we do a study on a, a letter, what, particularly Paul's letters or any book of the Bible, it's helpful to say, what's the background? What's the setting for it? In the book of Ephesians, we're not going to do as much of that. Oftentimes in, when I do a sermon, we'll spend five or 10 minutes going over all the background of the city and, and what's going on there. There's a couple reasons I'm not going to do that. One is that the letter to Ephesians, or what we know as the book of Ephesians, and if you notice in your Bible, there's these little footnotes sometimes, these little letters or numbers that appear next to the thing. And if you read the opening lines, it says, To God's holy people in Ephesus, you may have a little footnote that says, Some early manuscripts do not have in Ephesus. What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean is when we think about our Bible, we get our Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, and it was various manuscripts. And so we have literally thousands of these, more manuscripts for the Bible than any other ancient document. Some of them are just little fragments, a page here and there, a paragraph. Other ones are entire books or maybe nearly the entire New Testament. And the challenge is sometimes they're not always exactly the same. 99% of the time they are, but sometimes there's tiny little differences. And so scholars look and they say, well, which ones? And it's saying that some of the earliest ones don't have in Ephesus. Now, does the fact that it doesn't say in Ephesus seriously rock our faith in any way? No. I mean, this isn't. And the truth is all those textual variants, that's the fancy words for when two manuscripts don't match up. None of them have any significant bearing on what we believe and who we are. They're just little tiny grammatical things and stuff. So some people, you might have somebody say to you, well, there's all these different manuscripts and they say different things. The tiny little differences don't make a difference. But I'm pointing this out because many scholars believe, and I agree with them, that one of the reasons it's not in Ephesus is because this was written probably as a, we might call it a form letter or a circular letter. If you've ever gotten those, you get the email and it says, Dear Jake, Dear Carl, Dear Bob. And you think, oh, wow, they're writing just to me. They just pulled your name from a database and stuck it in there, right? And in the same way, we believe that Paul probably wrote this letter and he sent it to a bunch of churches and all they did was, when it came to Ephesus, they said, Dear brothers and sisters in Ephesus. When they went to Colossae, they said, Dear brothers and sisters in Colossae. When they went to the next city, they said it. And one of the other reasons we think that is because if you read through the rest of the letter there aren't a whole lot of specifics about situations going on. If you read the other letters, Paul will talk about all these people, and he names names, and he he talks about situations. Ephesians doesn't do that. And it's surprising because Paul spent a year and a half in Ephesians. You would have thought after a year and a half that he would have mentioned somebody by name, that there would have been some specifics. So, moving on. So, but briefly, Ephesus is his major city, the one, you know, thing that we know about it was there's this giant temple of artemis so the context the setting of the city is not as important because what paul is addressing in here isn't that but i want us to begin with this picture of a drama of a story inviting us and so what paul does in this opening kind of song of praise is sets the scene for the drama and we're going to focus on verses three through 14 one of the things as you read that and as you heard that read and if you read it before is it's a dense, dense section. And by that I mean there's a whole lot crammed in there. There's all kinds of ideas, all kinds of words about sonship and adoption and foreknowing and redemption and praise and glory of his grace and powers. We're not going to have time to go into every single one of those. To explore all those. But what I want us to do is to see how this section shapes how we envision God and our role in the world. How it helps us understand the drama we are called to live and the character we're called to play. So there might be parts you say, well, what is that all about? Some of them we'll come back to later. There's some words in there like mystery. There's going to be a couple weeks from now, we're going to spend a long time talking about just that word mystery. There might be other times where we talk about chosen or some of these other languages. So, Some of these words are important, but just understand there's a whole lot going on in here. And it's worth just meditating. But how does it begin? It begins with, um, depending on your translation, some of you may have blessed. Some of you may have praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or blessed be. Um, The language, that's kind of Old Testament language. Blessed was often used, not only we bless God, but God blesses us. And so there's this language, it begins with worship. And the writer Walter Wink says this, to worship is to remember who owns the house. To worship is to remember who owns the house. In other words, worship is a shaping event. When we gather, when the people of Israel, when God's people gathered for worship and sang songs and told stories, it was a shaping event. It was a forming event. It formed their imagination. It formed their story. It formed their way of thinking. In the same way, when we gather for worship, the songs we sing, the prayers we say, the scriptures we read, all the things we do together shapes and forms our imagination. And by imagination, I don't simply mean like, you know, my ability to say like, oh, look, there's some fairies flying up in the tree there. Imagination is a way we we see and we put the world together. So it begins with what? With what? It begins with God. And it begins with what God has done. And Paul struggled a little bit because this, verses 3 through 14, our translators have done us a favor and broken it up. In Greek, this is one sentence. That entire 3 through verse 3 is just one long sentence that just kind of goes on and on. And and Paul just kind of, it's almost, have you ever had that feeling where you, you start talking and you get excited about something, and you just want to say, but!" and and then you go to the next thing, you go to the next, and that's kind of how, what Paul does here, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing in Christ, and 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 here's where it comes from, and there's where it goes, and and all this, and he just goes and goes and goes, because he is so excited, and he wants to say, this is what it's all about, it begins with this call, and it says, God has blessed us, says, with every spiritual blessing, by spiritual, he doesn't simply mean non physical. Typically, in our, in our Bible, when, especially in the New Testament, when we're the word spiritual, it means it, it has to do with the Holy Spirit. So these are blessings from the Spirit. Every spiritual blessing, where? In the heavenly realms or the heavenly places. And what Paul's getting at is part of the story we need to learn and to remember is that we inhabit a story, we inhabit something far beyond what our senses see. It's sometimes easy to think, oh, I have my five senses, right? We learn those as kids and we learn about, oh, this is how we learn and we know about the world and we, we have microscopes and telescopes and we can look and we have electron scanning microscopes that can see down to these minuscule sizes and we have the Hubble telescope and we can see to the far reaches of the universe. But none of those can expose to us that there is something else out there. There is a spiritual reality, a heavenly realm, another dimension that exists and sometimes overlaps with ours. But it's out there. And Paul's reminding us that when we think about the story that we're living, remember that there is more to the story. We're going to talk about this more in a few weeks. These principalities and powers that Paul talks about. Things are beyond what we see. So as we begin to live our story, we need to rewrite the story and say, The world's more than just what I see. The world is more than just what I can touch or hear or taste. There are other things out there. And Paul is saying, I want you to remember that. And I just want you to remember that God is doing things in all those other realms, that he's blessed us in those heavenly places. It's also saying, God didn't just bless us in this one little part of our life. But this grand scope of, of his blessing to us. You, church, are actors on a cosmic stage. Think about that? This grand story that we're being called to do. And it begins by saying that God has blessed us. I'm not going to do it now, but if you turn back to page one of the Bible, God creates man and woman in his own image. And what's the first thing that he does? He blesses them. And so this is all tied into that story, this this theme of blessing. Bobby shared earlier about Abraham. When God calls Abraham, you know what he says to Abraham? Genesis chapter 12, and I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing, and everyone you bless will be blessed. So this is the storyline of the Bible. This isn't Paul just sitting around thinking, "Wow, what... Oh, I think I'm going to talk about God's blessing. He's thinking back. Paul is immersed in the first three quarters of our Bible we call the Old Testament. And one of those themes is this idea of blessing. All right. So we're going to move on from there. Next part. It just says, for he chose us in it. We're only at verse four. We can get mean, This is what I'm talking. This is dense. There's a lot here, right? We're not going to do this for every verse. Okay. You're all okay. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. In him. Who's the him? It's about Jesus. So in other words, Christ is central to the story. That Jesus is central to the story. And this language of in Christ occurs again and again in the book of Ephesians. And all through Paul's writing. He has this idea that somehow we're incorporated into what Jesus has done. When Jesus is raised, we're raised with him. We live in him. We're incorporated into what Jesus is doing. God sent Jesus into the world, what, to save the world and to bring God's blessing, to share the kingdom. And when we become in Christ, we're invited into that same story. We're incorporated into what Christ has done and what He's doing. It's not losing our sense of identity, but becoming our true selves. Two other words in here. We're going to talk just so He chose us. Now, you might be thinking, like, oh. And so there's this language that shows up, choosing, electing, predestined. And we might, again, have categories. We have a story. We think, oh, that's what this is about. A couple things to pay attention to. One is all the words in here, all the language is to a group of people. And I like what some scholars do sometimes, and we'll we'll get into this, but oftentimes we lack this sometimes in our, at least for those of us north of the Mason-Dixon line, if I were to say I want you to do something, am I talking to you as an individual, or you as a group of people? We don't have any way to know, do we? Because English, spoken north of the Mason-Dixon line, doesn't have a word for that. And why do I say that? Because down in the south, they have another word, don't they? Y'all. And we'll do that sometimes in the book of Ephesians because it's important to remember that a lot of times when Paul's talking, he's not talking to you, he's talking to y'all. He's talking to a group of people. So, this idea of choosing isn't about God looking and saying, You and you. He's saying, I chose y'all. Y'all were chosen in him. And the language is about this group, and it's the language of the Old Testament. Back to that story of Abraham. He chose Abraham, but he chose Abraham for what? In order to be a blessing. He chose the few to bless the many. He didn't choose Abraham and said, man, Abe, you are the greatest guy ever. I choose you. He chose Abe and said, Abe, I choose you and y'all's family to be a blessing. And that's the story of the Old Testament. Again and again, when he chooses Israel, it talks about choosing Israel. It's not that he looks at Israel, God's people, and says, Y'all are special. He says, I'm choosing y'all to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And that's the same here when it talks about he chose us in him. He chose us as a group. And it goes on. It says, this is the purpose of it to be for the praise of his glory, to do this. He's choosing us for a purpose. All right. Choses in him before the foundations of the world. In other words, our history goes back longer than we think. Our history doesn't just go back to when we said yes to Jesus. Our history doesn't just go back to when this church was founded. Our history doesn't just go back to when the United States was founded. Our history doesn't just go back to when the Reformation. Our history as the people of God goes back to when? Before the creation of the world. To eternity past. And so this can speak to us. Sometimes we wonder about our own past. We all have a past. And sometimes there are things in our past we're not real happy with. Things we did or, in some cases, things done to us. And things we struggle with and know what to do. And what Paul is suggesting here is that in the story we live, that past is a part of us, our life but it's not all of our history. It's not all of our story. It doesn't mean we ignore or pretend that past didn't happen. That's not what I'm suggesting, okay? I don't want you to think like, oh, these bad things happened to me. And Pastor Carl's saying, don't worry about it. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's allowing it to be rewritten. And to know that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. What says? And it goes on in verse 5. He did it at the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined or he chose us. And so it goes back to that, to know that in all the things we're loved. No matter all those things, no matter all that parts of our past, before the creation of the world, we were chosen in him in love. So if you think about what story am I being called to live, how am I being called to live in this cosmic drama, it has to begin with this identity. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world in love. That's who you are. That's your identity. And we need to rewrite that identity. He goes on, not only were we chosen, but we were redeemed and forgiven. And the mystery revealed, and so kind of continuing on with this, like I said, we're going to come back to those. But it continues in the present. Verse 11. See, we skipped a whole bunch. I told you we weren't going through all of it. In him we were also chosen, having predestined according to the plan of him who works out, in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Which goes back to the first verse, or I'm sorry, verse four. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world what to be holy and blameless. When I say about Abraham, that we were, Abraham was chosen, he chose the few to be a blessing to the many. In the same way, he chose us it said, "You're loved, but He chose us for a purpose, and the purpose is to be holy and blameless. The purpose is to be a reflection of who God is. Skipping around a little bit, Go back to verse one. It says, "To God's holy people in Ephesus," or your translation might say, to the saints who are in Ephesus." How many of you woke up this morning and said, "I am a saint." How many of you looked at someone in your family and said, "You're a saint? But this is what Paul says. This is who we are. We are saints. We are God's holy people. Does that mean we're always perfect? No. But we're, we're holy people called to be. This is who we're called to be. That being saved is for this goodness and for the glory of it. So our past is where we are. Our present is living this out in our future. It talks about in the spirit is this inheritance, this glorious down payment about something that will happen in the future, our past, present, future. So this is the story we're playing. So I want us to kind of sum it up, think about three key things that I want us to think about. There's a lot we could do with this part in the drama. First is to remember our identity in Christ. As we go, as you leave here today, and as you go to work or go to school or go play cards with your friends or go golfing or fishing or hunting or whatever it is you're going to do this week and think about the story that you're living in. I want you to think about these three things. One is your identity in Christ. That you were chosen in him in love before the foundation of the world. That you are loved deeply by the God who is the creator of the universe and not just in one place but in all things in the heavenly realms. That you have been chosen, that he looked and he saw you. that's the character, that's part of the character, part of the role you'll be inviting to play. Not only that, you have a new history, or we could say an ancient history. You're part of a bigger story. Sometimes we think, ah, well, my story is to get up in the morning and to make my breakfast and to do this, and I go to work and I come back home and I get this. And sometimes our story becomes really, really small. But what I want us to think about is, Our story is much bigger than that. We are actors. We are participants in a cosmic drama. We're on a much bigger stage. And we are God's holy people. Called to be holy. So this is how we think about our lives and how we think about this script. So, as we finish up, I want us to think about the flip side. Okay, say, okay, I get it, Carl. I, I think I get this idea. There's this big script. But what does this have to do with life? What it has to do with life is sometimes there are other stories or scripts we have been given, and we begin to live out in a different way because of those. And this is what we'll try and do each week is think about some of the stories and scripts. So I think, again, Tim Gomes has a helpful illustration of this and saying, what if the drama you're living follows the script of consumerism. And this is what he calls having an enslaved imagination. In other words, our understanding of the world has been warped, it has been captured. And what's the script of consumerism tell you? It tells you this, that your role in the world is to get more and newer things and get rid of those things we no longer find interesting. Get more and newer I mean, that's, that's the message that's out there that, and how does it work? We learn the script through advertising. What does advertising do? It works on our discontent. And it offers solutions and satisfaction. It tells you, you know. I mean, do you ever see somebody using in a product in an advertisement and they take a taste of it and say, eh, uh, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> or do you see a bunch of people at a party In an advertisement, they're all sitting around and they're just kind of sitting there going, yeah, looking at their watch. But what is everybody doing in most advertisements? They got big smiles on their face. They're having fun. They're all at the beach. They're playing. They're, They're having this great time. They're at the big party and everybody's there. And everybody's part of the conversation. There's not the couple people sitting over on the edge that have got left out of the party. But everybody's invited, and they, they all have the latest clothes. They've got the right drinks. They've got the right look. They're wearing the right makeup. They've got the right smells. they got everything going, and everything's great. And what the story is telling you is that you want to be a part of this. The story of advertising say, be a part of this. It's telling you, you're missing out. I mean, what kind of horrible life? What a sad little life you're living out there, people. But you can have a better life if you come and you drink this beer, if you use this product, if you buy this car, if you wear these clothes. You can be a part of this. Don't you ever look at your life and feel like you're missing out? Don't you feel like a little bit of discontentment, a little bit of sadness? But you can solve that problem. You can have that fixed if you just buy this. You don't need that old stuff anymore. I know you just finished paying off that iPhone, but here's the new one. I know you haven't even finished off paying that for that car yet, but it's okay because here's a new one. And it's bigger and it's better. Look it, it has 15 cup holders. <laughs> All these things. And that's the story that's what's going on. And it starts to think about, it begins to shape our lives and begins to shape us. It begins to maybe we start looking at ourselves and wow. Maybe I am kind of insignificant. I don't have all that other stuff. I I I don't have those things. I I don't have those big parties. I I don't look like those people on the screen, and we start to see ourselves in a different way. Or maybe, we start to see others in a different way. Their role becomes to tell me how good I look. If I get these clothes, if nobody comments on them, if nobody says how great it looks, what's the point? And so then others simply become vehicles for my own satisfaction. And then what happens? I begin to think more and more about this. It begins to to consume my time. It begins to consume my energy. And it begins to consume my money because I bought into a false story, a false narrative and so, rather than saying that I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be a participant in the blessing, God's blessing to the world, I think I'm just here to exist and to buy these things. And so, instead of using my resources to be a blessing to the world, I'm using my resources so that I can get some more comments and likes and compliments. That's the idea, the picture of what I'm talking about of how we need to live in and indwell a new story. And this new story is that we were created and chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be a participant in God's blessing to the world. That's the story we're invited to live out. So a couple practices. You say, okay, so how do I begin this? A couple suggestions for what you can do this week is as you listen to the radio or read the news or watch movies, read books, whatever it is you do, stop and ask yourself, what's the story... I'm being told here. What's the story I'm being told about who I am? What's the story being told about my place in the world? What's the story being told about who God is or the nature of the world? It may not, the story may not encompass all of those, but just pay attention. Just take a minute and say, and it could even be the news. You might watch the news and say, okay, wait a minute. What story am I being told right now it might be a novel. It might be a radio. It might be just a song on the radio. You say, what story am I being told about who God is, who I am and my place in the world? And then the second thing is maybe just start to take an inventory of where are all the stories, what stories am I filling my head with? I mean, when I was growing up, I watched a lot of movies, I read a lot of books, and those filled my stories and my imagination. A lot of it I read were military history books and stories and things. You know what I did in a lot of my free time playing as a kid, what did I do? I played army, I ran around and everything was a gun and I played this and that. It had filled my imagination and so everything was good guy versus bad guy. And there were the Nazis and there were the Japanese and there were all these things and I was fighting these battles and these wars because my imagination was filled with those ideas. So take an inventory of what stories are being doing, and then try and make sure that you're spending time filling yourself with this story. The story of how you are creating Christ. And a great way to do that, and I've fallen out of the habit is, and I'm getting back into it now, is memorizing scripture. And you say, Oh, that's really hard, Pastor. It is hard. It gets harder as we get older. But I believe this. That God wants us to meditate on his word, to be immersed in it. So I think if God wants us to, we can do it. It might not but you might not be able to memorize verses and verses, but maybe one. And then just allow that to be. And it might be just memorizing part of this. Or whole things like just remember, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. What if you just had that verse in your head and you thought about it. And as you were going through the week, you said, this is the story I'm a part of. That I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. That's who I am. I'm not who the song says I am. I'm not who this advertisement says who I am. I'm not who the news says I am. This is who I am. I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. And let the Bible teach you the script. Let it begin, in some sense, the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God to begin to rewrite the script that you've been given. So this week, church, our job is to go out in the world and be actors. In Actors, not in the sense of pretending, but actors in the cosmic drama of the world. Because each of you has been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Let that be our story. And may we live it and live into it through the power of his Holy Spirit in the name of the risen Christ. Amen.